0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations, and our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're finishing again this series called Welcome Home, and we've been looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians. And this is a book that the Apostle Paul wrote to a very young church in Thessalonica, and th- this church was about maybe a, maybe a year old, and Paul, of course, was persecuted there and had to leave the church, and so they were kind of left there to fend for themselves. Some some scholars believe that he was only there for about three weeks, so imagine planning a church in three weeks and then having to leave, and them having to fend for themselves. That's, that's kind of the... The, the point of this book, Paul is checking on them, and once he found out that they were okay, he's encouraging them, he's encouraged by the faith that he saw in them, and uh, he's just really ministering some things that he probably would have ministered to them had he been there, but because he's not, he's writing this letter to them to encourage them and encourage even the leaders of the church. Now, not last week because I was out, the week before that, we began a message called Family Dynamic. Everybody say Family Dynamic. So this is really part two of the family dynamic. In other words, as a family, how are we to interact with one another? How are we to act with one another? How are we to encourage one another? When are we to say certain things to one another? How do we build each other up? Now, as I'm speaking about, as I'm talking about this topic, I'm not just talking about this is how you interact with the people in your natural family. This is how you interact with the people at your job. I'm talking about the family of God because that's who we are. The person next to you is your brother or your sister. Whether they look weird or smell weird, they're your brother or your sister. So we're talking about how do I interact with them? What does this family thing look like? Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And I love the way this begins. Paul says, brothers and sisters... We urge you to warn those who are lazy, to encourage those who are timid, to take tender care of those who are weak, and to be patient with everyone. I love the way he starts, let me pause right there. He says, brothers and sisters. In other words, he's emphasizing, y'all are a family. You are a family. He doesn't say, congregation. He doesn't say parishioners. He doesn't say members. He doesn't say serve team. He doesn't say small group leaders. He says brothers and sisters, the people around you are your family, and that's how we are to treat one another. Again, he says, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. I'll stop right there. A couple weeks ago, some of y'all laughed at that. I don't know why you laughed at that, but because you must know some lazy people. All right. Another translation to that word lazy says unruly, and unruly meaning someone who is out of order, someone who, imagine there's, you have soldiers in line and they're marching in cadence and all of a sudden somebody just gets out of line. That's what unruly means. Now the reason why Paul says lazy is because I think he's referencing what he just said one chapter before in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verse 11, where he said this, make it your goal to live a quiet life. Mind your own business and work with your hands just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. What Paul is saying in chapter five is the same thing that I just warned you over, I encourage you to warn one another with. I encourage you to take these things that I'm saying and encourage one another to warn one another not to live this way, not to be lazy, not to do whatever it is you say. How many of you know those people who it doesn't matter with the Bible, they can come to church every single week, have a desire to want to be in the house of God, want to be connected with all of the benefits of the people, but when the word of God is preached, they sit back and go, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. That's not what I, I don't believe in that. Even though the Bible clearly says it, they're like, yeah, well, I'm going to do it this way. What Paul is saying is, Be a family, warn them, warn them. Those who are wrong, those who are being stubborn, those who are saying, I just don't care, tell them. And if you notice, he's not just talking to the pastor of the church, he's saying that to you brothers and sisters, warn one another. How many of you remember when you were kids, if you had siblings, when your brother was getting ready to do something stupid and you're like, I don't know if I'll do that. You know what mama said. You know daddy's coming home. Remember what happened last time. I get the feeling those of you are laughing, you weren't the one doing the warning. (laughs) Paul's saying warn one another. And another thing that he's saying is, listen, self-govern. Self-govern, what do I mean by that? What he's saying is, You don't wait for the pastor to address something. If that's your brother, you address it. If that's your sister, you address it. You say something. Why? Because it cannot be the pastor or the elders or the staff being the ones to see everything. No, if that's your brother, tell them the truth. If that's your sister, you warn them. If you see them doing what they said they wanted to do, or excuse me, they're they're not living up to what they said they wanted. I want to serve God. I want to do this right. I want to obey the word of God. Okay, then when you see them getting out of that, what do you do? You hold them accountable. You hold them accountable. Why? Because that's what families do. I don't know about y'all but I I have three kids and sometimes one of the most piercing things in my ears when I come home is stop, stop doing that. I'm gonna tell mom, I'm gonna tell dad, stop, stop. If you don't stop, sometimes I'm like, can you just tell your sister get up? She's four, (laughs) she's four. Can you just tell her get down instead of doing that, right? What he's saying is as a family, a family has to work with one another, guard one another, warn one another, and hold one another accountable. Y'all with me? That's our role as a family. In a loving family, you have healthy and honest conversations. And I know I've harped on that a whole lot over the last few months. That's a really big deal, though. Because the world we live in encourages you to do the exact opposite. It encourages you to be a gossiper. It encourages you to take what somebody says and not deal with the issue, but go tell everybody else about it. I wanna address this, I've seen them do this, and rather than saying, hey, bro, listen, you're not living up to what God said. You're not being consistent with what you said you wanted. You said you wanted to live for God. That's not living for, God. rather than doing that, you go tell everybody, did you see what they did? Can you believe what they did? Somebody needs to talk to them. Let me tell you who the somebody is. You, you saw it. Hold your brother or your sister accountable. Are y'all with me? The world tells you go and gossip. The world tells you don't say it to their face, but go say it online. The world tells you, do say online, say on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok Something that you would never, ever say to that person's face. That's the world that we live in. It's a very cowardly, selfish culture. That is not the family of God. That's not who we are called to be. That's not how we live. Or here's another extreme. It's the person who is always willing, I'm going to tell you the truth, but there's no love behind it. And they do it harshly and they do it because of their own sense of self-righteousness, not because I'm doing it to warn you because I love you and want the best for you. And that's the reason why even as I talk about this, some of you are like, "Ah, uh, I don't know, that feels uncomfortable because you've had people do it the wrong way. You've had people come to you and be harsh just for the sake of being harsh. Or people who call you out just for the sake of their own self-righteousness. That's not the family of God. The family of God holds each other accountable. Why? Because we love one another. And we want the best for you. I'm not doing you any favors if I see you getting ready to make a mistake that's going to end your marriage. If I don't say anything, I don't love you. If I don't warn you that you're heading down the wrong path, I don't love you. Are y'all with me this morning? So families... Hold each other accountable, warn one another, warn each other when we're getting out on. Another thing that he says is encourage the timid. I love how he follows that up. Encourage the timid. In other words, encourage those who are scared to live out their faith, those who are nervous to live out this relationship with God that they have. Now remember, this was written to a church that was being extremely persecuted, this was written to a group of people in a community that they had already seen some of their friends and their families dragged in front of religious leaders or put in jail. So Paul is saying, encourage those who are afraid to live that out because of the persecution that they're they're experiencing. You have to understand that in context. What is You may hear me say in context a lot. What does that mean? It means what was originally being said. In context means this is what was originally being said. The beginning and the end of it all fits. This is what they meant when they said this. What Paul is saying is encourage the timid because they're afraid of what might happen to them. Now, even though we're not being encouraged, I mean, we're not being, excuse me, persecuted like they were in the church, there's still people in this room who are very timid about living out your faith. I don't want to condemn you. God doesn't condemn you. The Bible tells us that when we have someone like that, encourage them, encourage them to live out their faith. Encourage them, what does that word encourage means? Encourage means to put courage in, to give them courage. Walk in with one another and say, bro, you can do this. You can do this, God is with you. You can stand for your faith at your job. Listen to me teenager, you can make a stand for God on your college campus, or at your high school. You don't have to compromise. You don't have to compromise. Don't be timid. Be bold in your faith. Now, for those of you who are bold in your faith, I encourage you, continue to be bold in your faith. Stand for truth, but be patient with those who aren't there yet. Because we have this this ability, if you will, it's really not an ability. It's very sad. We, and I do it myself. Once we get something and we become good at something, we expect everybody else to have it the way that we have it now. Forgetting that it took us a very long time to get to that point. Be patient with one another. What took you years to get, it might take them the same amount of time to get. So encourage them to get it. Encourage them to be bold. And again, For those of you who are timid in your faith, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure if I can open up, I'm not sure if I can share that, you can. How do I know that? Because the God of the universe is inside of you. And what the Bible says is greater is he that's in you than he who's in the world. Everything you need to win and to conquer is inside of you. So be bold with your faith. Paul also goes on to say, take care of the weak. Take care of the weak. If you notice in a good, healthy family, what do they do? They surround and support those who are weak. They don't condemn them. In an unhealthy church environment, that's what you see. When a person's weak, you see people condemned. I can't believe them. Why did they do that? Who do they think they are? They should be better than that. Where's your faith? Maybe they're just weak. And maybe they just need you to encourage them instead of beating them down. And it's getting real quiet in this church today. <laughs> Take care of the weak. Don't criticize them for their weakness. Give them strength. Don't criticize their weakness. Encourage them to not be weak, to be strong. Again, giving them courage. And then he ends it by going, he, he says this, be patient. And I know I just mentioned that, but I want to encourage this all the more. Be patient with one another. Here's the ironic thing about patience. Are y'all ready for this? my wife was are y'all are the rest of y'all ready for this <laughs> literally i said are y'all ready and she went yes <laughs> i'm being patient with y'all okay <laughs> patience is something that we hope everyone has with us and we hope that we don't have to be with other people isn't it ironic we hope when we need patience that people will be patient with us. But let somebody require that of us and we, we lose it. This is how families operate. We're supposed to be patient with one another. And listen, there are times when we want to react to people because, you know, God has, God has showed us something. And we just, we, okay, you should get it. I want you to get it like I got it. Again, it took you a long time to get it. So, be patient with them while they're getting it. Remember what it was like when you were growing. Remember what it was like when that person took their time and helped walk you along in the faith and help you grow. Be patient with one another. It's the same thing with our kids. We do this with our kids, or at least I hope we do this with our kids. My wife and I have to remind ourselves from time to time Babe, I want to kill her. I want to kill her. Babe, she's four. If You notice I keep addressing the same person, <laughs> babe. She is only four. Be patient. Give her grace. But some of us are babes in the faith. We're babes in our relationship with God. We're not. We're just trying to. We're not walking this thing out. We're just learning how to walk. That requires patience with one another. That's why the Bible tells us to do this. Be patient. Now listen, it doesn't mean that you don't address things. I've already talked about that. We need to address things with one another. Being patient with one another does not give you a pass to be passive. Okay, we address it, but we patiently wait on them to grow and for them to get it. If only you knew, there are times when I'm on the phone or counseling people and they're telling me things and I just, in the flesh, I want to throw the phone <laughs> at them, <laughs> right? I'm sitting there count- and like, keep a straight face, smile, smile, smile. You're their pastor, smile. But they, they're still growing and it requires the same patience that it required for me. Because I guarantee, even to this day, I can talk to my pastor and I'm sure he's like (laughs) (laughs) requires patience with one another. When the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit that it mentions is patience. And another translation calls it what it makes more sense in our minds. Long suffering. What does long-suffering means? It means you suffer for a long time. You are suffering for a long time with them, enduring while they get it. Because on the other side of it, they're worth it. Your kids on the other side of it are worth it. Your spouse on the other side of it is worth it. Suffer long. Suffer along with your brothers and your sisters. Verse 15, and this is, I'm really gonna get in y'all's business right now. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Now, the world teaches us the exact opposite, right? What does the world teach us? Do unto others before they do unto you. Some of you remember that's Fred Sanford, chapter four, verse 17. Do unto others before they do unto you. Now, in our minds, if somebody does us wrong, the last thing that our flesh wants to do is to let them get away with it. Here's the thing about the family of God. There are times when people do you wrong and they don't know that they're doing you wrong. And your reaction can be to hurt them, and then their reaction is to hurt you, and then your reaction is to hurt them. And you perpetuate a cycle of hurting and wounding one another over and over and over again, all because of what could have began as a misunderstanding. And there are are other moments, excuse me, when they mean to hurt you, and you know they meant to hurt you, Those are the moments that you have to give grace and forgiveness because hurt people, hurt people. There are times when I'm interacting and dealing with people and I know they're not even thinking about me. They're thinking they're looking at me and they're seeing their fourth grade bus driver. And that sounds silly, but they're viewing me and what I'm saying through the lens of the painful experiences they've had in their past. Hurt people, hurt people. But heal people, heal people. Yes. So when a person comes to you with that hurt, you have the opportunity to respond with loving and kindness and you disarm them when you do. People don't know what to do with that. Now, let me give you the OSC modern translation of what Paul is saying here. Don't be petty. <laughs> don't be petty. Don't hold on to petty little offenses. Don't go tit for tat, don't hurt people whenever they've done something that hurts your feelings because Jesus takes it even further than what Paul is saying here. Jesus says this, bless your enemies. Bless your enemies. Again, I'm not saying that you don't address things. I'm not saying you don't ask questions. As a matter of fact, some of you need to learn the art of asking questions. When somebody hurts you, instead of going to them and going, you did this, maybe you need to go to them and say, hey, when that happened, did you mean to do this? Because this is how I saw it. This is how that happened. Never make a statement where a question will suffice. And sometimes when you ask the question, you give them the ability to say, I didn't even know I did that. I'm so sorry. I apologize. It was never my intention to hurt you. It was never my intention to hurt your feelings. Problem solved. But when you lift tit for tat like that, you just fight and it goes back and forth and you perpetuate the cycle. Y'all with me? Let me give you another practical example. When you have a conflict with someone and you deal with the conflict and they think that the conflict is over and you hold on to it. I'm getting real practical because this is what we do. We have the conflict. We deal with the issue. I forgive you. I forgive you. Are we over? This done? Yeah, we're good to go. And then you walk away from the conversation. I can't believe they did this. Can you believe they did that? Can you believe they said that? It's a false sense of resolving the conflict. And it does nothing more but perpetuate the hurt. It keeps it going. When you say you forgive someone, look up here. Don't miss this. When you say you forgive someone, mean it really mean it because this is what forgiveness is some of you have never maybe, maybe have never even heard this. this is what forgiveness is it's like a it's like a banking term when you owe someone something and you and that person decides you know what you don't owe me anymore they've forgiven you so when a person hurts you there's this sense and this feeling of you owe me something but when i say i forgive you i'm canceling your debt You have to be able to cancel those debts and walk away. Are y'all with me? We don't get them back. And here's something else that we do. There are times that we take on other people's offenses. And when we take on another person's offense, we, again, perpetuate dysfunction. What I'm talking about, these are the things that destroy churches. Churches. These are the things that cause people to come in and treat church like it's an event instead of treating it like a family. Why? Because pastor, I tried this at the last church and they hurt me and so I don't open up anymore. God wants you to open up. The same forgiveness that you were extended, you need to extend to them. I'm not saying you need to stay in an unhealthy environment. If it's unhealthy, leave it. But that doesn't mean when you get to this new environment that that gives you an excuse to be walled up. Sometimes we take on other people's offenses, and there's times where offenses, and y'all have seen this happen from generation to generation to generation where your great-great-grandkids don't like those people's great-great-grandkids, and they don't even know why. We just don't like the Boudros. I don't know why, but we don't like them. We don't like them. They're from Cypress Island. No, sir. <laughs> don't get me started on Lowerville. Right, and there's offenses and walls built up and you don't even know why. That probably started with one person misunderstanding another person and they got offended and they spread their offense and now you have a whole group of people offended at a whole another group of people. Don't take on other people's offenses. You let them carry their own offense and deal with God with that. It's not my job to get offended for you. It's not my job to stop liking them because they hurt your feelings. If they hurt your feeling, I wanna encourage you to go get it right. That's my job. Again, we're talking about the family dynamic. This is how the family of God is supposed to interact with one another. Let's keep going. Paul from here gives us three pieces of advice that is the will of God for our life. If you came in today wondering, God, what's your will for my life? I'm getting ready to tell you. Three very practical examples of the will of God in your life. He says this, verse 16. Always be joyful. Always be joyful. Let me ask you a question. When the world looks at you, do they see joy? If you're claiming to follow Jesus, when the world actually sees a Christian, what do they see? Do they see joy? Or do do they see anger at them because they're the world? Do they see anger and frustration? And do they see... I'm always somber. I used to believe that. Can I be honest? When I first got saved, I went to a church where I, they thought if you were really holy, you had to look mean and ugly. I'm serious. They, you, when, when you were really holy, you were like. Somebody walks in the church? I thought that was spiritual. This is not my personality though, so it didn't last too long. That's not what the Bible says, yet that's what we religiously think. Or how about this one? When the world looks at us and, and all they see is our ability to condemn them for their sin instead of loving them where they're at and trying to bring them in to the kingdom so that God can actually change them. That's the way the kingdom works. When they look at you, do they see joy? Now, don't get me wrong. There are times and there are seasons when joy is very hard. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything under the sun. But by and large, the Christian should be a person who has joy. A a person who when you look at them, you see joy. You see the joy of the Lord on their face. Now, in order for you to have joy, you have to have a reason to have joy. You have to have a source of having joy. What I'm not saying is just shut up and be happy. Shut your mouth, stop complaining, and be happy for God's sake. I'm not saying that. What's your reason for being happy? What's your reason for having joy rather? Excuse me, not happiness, joy. Because you have new life in Jesus, that's why. Because you're born again because your sins are forgiven, because you received what you could never earn and what you don't deserve. God's mercy, God's love, eternal life. We have what the world does not have, so we should have joy. Some of you need to be reminded of the times when you should have died and he saved you. When you're walking around and you're somber and you're in your feelings and you're in all your junk, maybe you need to remember that time that maybe you should have gone to jail, but God rescued you. Or that time that maybe your relationships, the closest relationships in your life should have been over, but because God intervened, they're not. You have a reason to have joy, but you have to choose it. You have to choose joy. Now, here's the posture of the world. I'm gonna out-complain you. Man, how are you? I'm busy. Well, I'm even busier than you. I got a lot going on, if only you knew. That's the posture of the world, that's not the posture of God's people yet. That's what happens in our lives all the time. Or how about this one? We out-victimize one another. I'm hurt, not as hurt as I am. I went through this. That's nothing compared to what I've been through. Do you want a trophy? Like what? You win. Your life is worse. Makes us feel better. We're not called, listen, I say this lovingly, church, please stop doing that because you're not showing the world who Jesus is and what he's done for your life. They don't want to follow that. So great, come to your church so I can be miserable too. (laughs) Right, come, come, come to church with me. Come in the fellowship of God's people where we all don't like each other and we all fight and complain and we all talk about how busy and how horrible our life is. Sign me up. I know this is a bit tongue in cheek but it's the truth. Church, stop it. This is not who we are. Stop trying to out-complain one another. We know you have a lot going on. Why? Because we all have a lot going on. We all have a lot going on. And there are people who you are sitting next to every single Sunday who you have no idea the things that are going on in their life because they have a smile on their face and joy in their heart. Why? Not because they're more holy and spiritual, but because they chose joy. You chose misery, they tapped into the joy that God offers them. Choose joy. You don't have to live this miserable life. Choose joy, walk in joy. The next thing he says is this. Never stop praying, verse 17, never stop praying. We are a house of prayer. That's what the church is, it's a house of prayer. We're not a house of entertainment. We're not a house of just groups. We're not a house of come find your wife here. When you come up to me and you're like, Pastor, you have a singles ministry? The answer is no. Find your spouse the old-fashioned way. Through pain and agony. (laughs) I'm joking. Just joking. We're called to be a house of prayer. God's people pray. Which means anything that comes up in your life, should very, the very first thing it should be met with is prayer. It should be met with you bringing that thing to God. Pray without ceasing. You should, number one, you should have a set time of prayer. I encourage each and every one of you, every day you should have a set time of prayer. Every single morning of my life, I wake up and I seek the face of God. I get up, I make coffee for my wife, I make coffee for myself, I let the dumb dog out. My wife is very, we're going to have to talk about this afterwards, aren't we? But then I seek the face of God every single morning. So you should have a set time for that. But you should also, number two, you should also pray all throughout the day. Because what you're doing is you're inviting God into your everyday life. When you're faced with a circumstance, Father, what do you want me to do? When something comes up that rocks you, God, what do you want us to do? When something great happens, you thank him in the moment. Lord, thank you for what you've done. What are you doing? You're inviting God into your everyday life. Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. God wants us to do both. Pastor, what do I pray about? Everything. Everything, you pray about your needs, you pray about the condition of your heart, you pray about your desires, you pray about your temptations, you pray about your frustrations, you pray you, you have joy and express gratitude, you pray about your fears, and you ask God for direction. Everything, why? If he's the Lord of your life, he's in control of it, so invite him into it all. Pray without ceasing. The next thing he says is this, by the way, when I'm ta- I, there'll be conversations that I'm having with people, and I'm interceding even in that moment. Lord, what do you want me to do? Here's the trick. Just don't do it out loud because that's weird. I'm talking to you. Hold on. Yes, Lord. Okay. Got it. Don't do that. Okay. Next thing. Verse 18 talks about being thankful. It says, be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. This is the will of God for your life. Those three things I just mentioned, and this one, be thankful. The will of God for your life is gratitude. Have a grateful heart. Why? That's, that's what the source of joy is. Lord, I'm grateful for what you've done for me. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's extremely hard to be bitter and angry when your heart is full of Gratitude. When you are grateful and you recognize that you have what you do not deserve and you should not have, you have a heart of gratitude. And that fills your heart and doesn't allow much room for bitterness and anger and frustration. Have a heart of gratitude. Now, here's the thing about gratitude. Gratitude is probably the most short-lived of all emotions. When someone does something for us, The moment we send the text message or we write the thank you card, we've moved on to the next thing. Done with gratitude. But it shouldn't always be that case with others, and it certainly shouldn't be that way with God. That's why we receive communion, by the way. It brings us back to gratitude for what he has done for us. So always remember those things. And let me just say this, and this is something I teach our staff gratitude look up here don't miss this one this is big gratitude is not gratitude unless it's expressed it's not real gratitude as long as you're the only person who knows about it even when it comes to God well God knows my heart I remember a story in the Bible when Jesus healed 10 lepers and only one of them came back to say thank you and he recognized and called that out he said didn't I heal 10 of y'all why is only one coming back Gratitude is not gratitude unless it's expressed. If someone has done something for them, humble yourself. And it's sad to even say that. But it's pride that gets us in the the way of us actually showing gratitude at times. They're not better than you because you're expressing gratitude. Please get over that. You are an honorable person when you're able to show gratitude for someone who's honored you. Gratitude is not gratitude unless it's expressed. Let me keep going. We're not just talking about, I'm not, what Paul is not saying is be thankful for everything. We're not thankful for everything, but we're thankful in everything. No matter what comes our way, you can find a reason to be grateful to God. If nothing else, you're not going to hell. If nothing else, you're not alone. If nothing else, God is for you and he's with you and his spirit is in you. You can always be grateful for that. So I encourage you for those of you who are going through the most difficult of times in your life, as we speak right now. I'm not saying get over it. It's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is please find the source of joy. Think about what he has done for you. How he's never left you, how he's never forsaken you, and he will not start now. Verse 19. I'm almost done. It says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. I absolutely love this because it's more proof in the Bible that the early church operated in the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of prophecy, praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. Pastor, you believe in that? A million percent I believe in that because the Bible teaches us that. I believe the Bible. If you believe the Bible, you believe that. Paul tells us, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Another translation says it like this, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Now the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit often as a fire. And when you quench something, what do you do? You pour water on it. The Spirit of God inside of us is a fire and it should be a fire that burns in us. I'm not talking about being hyper-emotional. I'm not talking about getting, I said this before, if you run around this church, we will tackle you. We don't, I'm not talking about doing cartwheels in the aisles. That could be hyper emotionalism. I'm not talking, about. what I'm saying is this, the spirit of God is a consuming fire. When you speak about Jesus, there should be passion behind it. There should be a fire and an emotion behind that. But what he's saying in context right here is don't quench the spirit. And he's talking about not, don't scoff at prophecies. In other words, don't make fun of prophecies. I believe in the gift of prophecy. Some of you in this room operate in the gift of prophecy. And I encourage you, grow in that gift. Stir up that gift. That is a gift that is encouraging to the body of Christ. What is prophecy? Prophecy is foretelling what the future is, that God himself is revealed. God do you believe that? I do, because the Bible tells us. If you don't believe me, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It lists out these gifts of the Spirit. The Bible talks about Ananias the prophet, excuse me, Agabus the prophet in the book of Acts. This is all New Testament stuff. So we don't do what the Old Testament did and put prophecies away and scoff at them. That's not God, no, no, no. I believe in that. And as a church, we believe in operating in the prophetic gifts of the Spirit. Are y'all with me? God wants us to. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the gifts of the Spirit, but they are to be done decently and in order. If we're gonna operate in these gifts, we're gonna operate in order. In other words, don't stand up and just start prophesying if I don't know you. If you've not been recognized and given the ability to prophesy to our church, you will be stopped. Because we believe in doing things decently in order. When we have a person and they're stamped and I know there's a gift of prophecy, they come to me, Pastor, I have a word, absolutely, let's share it. If I sense that's God, let's share it. We're going to do it decently in order. But there's sometimes, and here's my next point, here's the other extreme. The other extreme is this. When a person hears from God and they think, because I hear from God, I'm never wrong. Nobody in this room, myself included, is an Old Testament prophet. New Testament prophecy requires us to do the very next thing. Verse 21, but test everything that is said. That means that anything that you, you, I have a word from God, it needs to be judged, it needs to be tested. Tested because you can miss it just as easy as anybody else can. Those words need to be tested, they need to be judged. If you come to me and you say, Pastor, God spoke this to me, We're gonna, I'm gonna judge it. What does judging it look like, what does it mean? Is that in sync with what the Spirit of God has been saying to us as a leadership team? Number one, is that lining up with what the Bible says? Because if you come to me talking about that person needs to leave their spouse to marry me, that ain't God. I don't care what emotions you felt. That was a spirit. It was not the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Right, so those things have to be judged. We have to be willing to, God spoke this to me. Let me just say this soon. I've heard another pastor I respect say this and it stuck with me. When people come to me and say, God told me, you've tied my hands. I can't give you any wise counsel because you're not open to it at this point. A better posture would be, I believe the Lord has said this to me. Will you help me judge this? Because when you go, nope, God told me. Great, go get it. If you've missed it, you're going to miss it by yourself. But if you've missed it with a heart that's submitted and says, let's judge this, it allows me the opportunity or our leaders, our elders to help you navigate through with that. Because God may have said it, but he may not, may not have said it for right now. It might have been for later and he's also working out patience in your life to get to that point. I know this is weighty this is heavy, but I want you to think this way because this is how the family of God operates. This is how we operate. Verse 23, I'm almost done. I know I said that already, but I really am this time. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. This is Paul's prayer for the church. Verse 25, dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Church, I ask you as family, if the apostle Paul needed the prayers of the church, my wife and I certainly do. Our staff certainly does. Our elders certainly do. Please pray for us. Call us out by name. We have joy, but there's times we're fighting devils. And as a family, we cover one another and we pray for one another. So I encourage you, call us. I'll call our leadership team. I'll call my pastor. I'll pray for us. Verse 26, greet all the brothers and sisters with a sacred kiss. And all the single people said... Notice it says a sacred kiss. As a matter of fact, a hug and a handshake will suffice, okay? Fist bump. Verse 27, I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. And then Paul says these incredible words as we end this series. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Church, that's my prayer for you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. His grace empowers us. It gives us the ability to do the things that we just read. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the family of God. This is how we're called to live. My prayer is that you give them grace. The grace to live this way as a family. To live for you, sold out for you. As born again children not looking like the world but looking completely different because we are the family of God and I thank you for that with every eye closed and every head bowed if you're here today and you say pastor I'm not a part of the family of God because I'm not born again I'm not saved I'm not right with God there's sin in my life that separates me from a holy God I've got good news for you you don't have to leave this building that way your sins can be forgiven. You can be right with God. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want that, let me explain it to you. I'm talking about being born again, something that's as simple as ABC: A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you and C, confess that he is now the Lord of your life. And you're committing to follow him. So with no one looking around, if you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be born again today. I want to pray for you. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and pray a prayer with me and the rest of our church out loud. prayer that's simply saying, God, I surrender and I choose to follow you. One, two, three. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I want to be born again. Pray for me. Include me in that prayer. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand back there. Praise God. Anyone else? Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you, young lady. I see your hand. Anyone else? Praise God. You can put him now. Church, let's pray this prayer aloud loud together. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with God the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of it. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. Heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer today to be born again.